0: everyone to fly footy uh i know it looks like there's only two of us today and so far that is true but santiago is on the way to rescue us from making fools of ourselves right matt we're just biding our time until the pro gets here (laughs) exactly and he's been a pro i've been wanting to say this i'm gonna say it when he's not here uh santiago and i didn't want to tweet this because i was afraid who might read it and it might come off as like a an insult but um, since no one watches this, I thought I'd say here he is, actually, speaking of the devil. Uh, devil? Santiago. <laughs> How awkward. I was just going hey, say to say I'm you, biased, and I think I've sort of said this before, but, like, the stuff, when you go to these press conferences, you always tweet out the best stuff after. And no one does it except for you. And so, like, you're, like, tailor-made to be my soccer <laughs> reporter um and so i just wanted to say you've been doing a great job man and I, I love the stuff you do so thank you
1: oh thanks uh i didn't tweet anything today i i i was kind of busy at work when i got home so i didn't you know, have to tweet anything
2: i, I just
0: assumed they wasted all my time on videos <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just assumed there wasn't an interview since i didn't see any of santiago's tweets yeah, nice. I, know. <laughs> I, saw, I saw phil's videos come out and i was like oh what happened <laughs>
1: yeah sorry to disappoint but but yeah i'll <laughs> i'll get back i'll get back on track next time
2: well to be you're fair, fair they're doing work like, on the hashtag stl football that's
1: yeah, that's what i yeah, know I yeah hopefully I, I hope that catches on and I, I like it and i think it will be good for um uh, especially for the the spanish-speaking folks and i think even for the english speakers i think it's a nice hashtag
0: well, and that's the thing. I mean, there's like the translate. So I, you know, I read everything you put out there, whether no matter what language it's in. It's it's very convenient. It's very nice. Um, but yeah, the, the, speaking of today, we did go to the press release. There's videos you can watch. And I think I'm sure Santi going to post some good stuff. But that said there was no like crazy announcements today usually there's something like some kind of secret that they can announce or whatever about new players playing and and there was one good thing in the videos I think especially good thing in the videos uh, but yeah nothing crazy today right Santi yeah
1: yeah nothing nothing major obviously as, as usual we try to uh, get more information on the venue for that last home game but mm-hmm. but yes basically i was still nothing new there will be an announcement soon but i don't know it's getting close and the stadium is almost finished but i think it's going to be too tight it's going to be hearing, a really tight deadline
2: we keep hearing more and more rumors about different activities different events there's the the persistent rumor of the women's national team match but all of that's after september so yeah. we're running up against a, a pretty tight deadline here for that
0: Hackworth did kind of tease it like it was going to happen. But, you know, that's not you know, that's not written in stone by any means. Yeah, I just know I just yeah, I want to say this, that I went to I've said this before. Probably it's one of my favorite things I ever did. I got to go with St. Louis FC to play the friendly. It was the very first competitive match. Played in Orlando City's stadium, and it was Precky's St. Louis FC team in preseason. Precky. Yeah, Precky. And so, like, our academy kids got to go up against that one. Yeah, (laughs) got to go up against, um, oh, Kaka. Yeah, which was cool. Oh, like he nice. played the entire game, so that, um, cool. that was really fun to watch. But I just want to say that the the stadium was not finished. Like there were guys welding shit <laughs> while I was there. You know, so that's not a big mm. deal. Like it was still beautiful. Well, you could see the bones. You could see what it was going to be. That was just like finishing touches being done, and it was fine. But can you
2: honestly envision our team, our our, our front office, who really have a more or less a well polished, well crafted persona? Can you really imagine them inviting people into that stadium when it's not completely finished and there's still vendors uh, pushing stuff around, installing Pepsi uh, stuff? (laughs) Yeah, no, I I I don't see it. I don't see it until it's like not completely polished with like banners and stuff all over the place. But I mean, you're going to have to be well enough done to where it gives off that finished vibe. I agree with you.
0: And I and I always err on the side of like, just do it. You know, everyone's going to love it. It'll be fine. And that's not good. That's not good. So, um.
1: so, so. So here is a thought. Could it be? Yeah. The 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 game will be there. But could it be without public? Mm. Awful decision. That would be terrible. That would be terrible. Yeah. Completely yeah. I,
2: I think like that's people a, that's be a fly over consensus. Yeah. Smash yeah. that dislike button.
1: <laughs> yeah. What about. OK. So if the stadium isn't ready, it's. The practice fields an option mm. like, if, they, if they pull in some stands which we still don't know if they have right like and i was hoping Matt you would know like if there were gonna be a mm. stands, but like i did some research and i couldn't find anything but I was. I was
2: looking back on uh interviews and seeing what i could find back when they talked about like the soma district they haven't used that term in a long time south of market True. Um, but mm-hmm. even back to then when they were talking about the practice fields, I couldn't find a single thing about having stands or seating. Um, and even looking now at the the videos of it and, and watching. So there were some things posted today and you can look at the stadium cams, the practice fields, the netting seems really tight to those, yeah. those fields. And so they could put, I don't know where they'd really put seats on yeah. the touch lines, um, mm-hmm. much less the end lines up by the team store. I,
0: so I, I drive know. by there weekly to drop my son off at the climbing gym, which will not exist shortly. <laughs> All right. <laughs> y- soon. Yikes. Yeah, it's through September. Like we're going to have a good finishing day celebration sort of thing. But um yeah, so like I keep thinking there's a hill that we could put stands on that's beautiful. But I think that might be a visual illusion. And I can create a downtown berm yeah basically like a berm but i think (laughs) it's the retaining wall i think it's straight up and down i keep meaning to look at it closely i think i'm wrong but that'd be really cool if there was a hill like an overlooking yeah
2: i keep saying that if even if they're not going to have stands for the u21s especially who are going to play on those training fields here pretty soon even if they don't allow fans um i guarantee they're i'm not Mm -hmm. saying i will but i guarantee people will try to get into the hotels around there. They'll try to get watch from the wheel. People are going to try some creative things to get to see people play. You're going to see some pictures from some very interesting locations if they don't allow fans in there. The wheel would
0: be a blast. It'd be like... (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry, I would have liked to comment on uh, the uh, tactics of this end, but I was at the bottom of the wheel, not the top of the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) I missed the the goal because the wheel took too long. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, Uh, we've wasted quite a bit of time, but it's been a lot of fun. Let's jump right into the games that we have not covered, and we're going to go all the way back to Vancouver. I actually don't think we've covered the home game before that, but we're going to start with Vancouver today, and um, I will also put out the caveat that we've all watched these games, but the feeds were in and out. They were absolutely terrible. Sometimes you couldn't even tell who the players are Santiago and I were talking about that today like trying to get the last game put together and just like I don't know what'd you see not much a bunch of blobs in a you know pixelated blobs on a screen so but we're going to do our best today to talk about what happened. The basics of Vancouver versus St. Louis is an assist from Simon Betcher for the first goal for Vancouver. They scored one, and then St. Louis had four unanswered for the win. So that's the basics. Uh, Santiago, did you watch this one? Can we can we go to you next? You can talk about a few things, perhaps?
1: Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, I watched, yeah, I I had some people over, so I was kind of, on and off but um i watched the highlights afterwards and one thing that i really liked um, like if you look at the goals that cd2 scored like especially the first goal and uh, yeah the first goal for sure yeah like uh, it's like um it shows what this team is about like press recover the ball quick transitions and you score like uh at least three of the goals were like that st louis recovered the ball quick transition quick touches uh between two or three guys and and then you're in a position to score so i really like seeing that and um the team did really well it was um it was great to see um the team uh winning against Vancouver. And, and I'm sure everybody had a chip on their shoulder uh, just because we lost that home game. I remember um, when the team had the media availability before that game, I asked uh, Coach Hawker, I was like, okay, so this is one of those that kind of got away. I was like, yeah, you're right, Santiago. Like, hmm. we're very disappointed with the outcome of that game. Like, we dominated and we just couldn't, we just couldn't score that second goal. And, and yeah, they, like... Credits to them because they kept fighting and it, at the end they found a couple of goals, but it was one of those that was disappointing for the team. So I'm glad they were able to, to get that chip out of the shoulder and, and win against Vancouver.
0: Matt, what did you think about the game?
1: Well, I
2: probably had the same kind of viewing experience as you guys did. However, I was still on my cruise when, I was, uh, when this game happened. So I was sitting there ported at uh, Juneau, Alaska, Trying to get some shady Wi-Fi to, mm-hmm. to stream the game, Forgot and it was choppy. That. It was choppy, um, probably similar to how you guys saw it. To be quite fair, I did. I was really excited that Tomás Ostrach uh, got on the score sheet. I think that was his first goal, and I think it was. Um, you know, I, I watched the highlights of the goals afterwards, so I, you know, to make sure I was actually keeping up with who was scoring what. You know, Kuz Pompeu and and Ostrach but the thing that struck me about the Ostrago in particular is he found space. Um, it wasn't as mobile of finding space as you know, we'll talk about here a little bit with uh, Jacques Klaus, but I think, um, one of the things that I look for in the new MLS players are specifically like, what is their situational awareness? Uh, how are they, how are they playing off the ball? Um, what are they looking for and kind of what's their style and Ostrak, to me, when he first started playing a few games ago, he was a little more out to the right. And I, you know, there's a comment that Hackworth made completely unrelated to Ostrak uh, about Jensen. And I go back in my mind and I think about Ostrak, and uh, it, it's almost like it doesn't matter where he's playing on the field uh, in for City 2. Uh, for this goal, he was right in the middle of the field in that uh, number 10 position, that attacking midfielder. And he let Doling really control the ball and draw three defenders over to him, if I recall. Hmm. And then he just found himself, took like one step back to the middle of the box, received the pass and crushed it in. Uh, Well, not crushed it, but he, he shot it in. And that to me was a very exciting thing to see, you know, obviously getting on the score sheet in general is great, but I was just really happy with kind of how that play broke down and getting him, uh, getting him involved and seeing how he positioned himself, uh, when attackers were drawn off of him. So I, that and then um, the Celio goal uh, stands out because he, I think he took it almost from midfield to the box, if I remember. yeah, That, that no, was, yeah. I mean, you're always looking for him to pass it off or to cross it because he leads the league or is second or third in the league in some key passing categories, mm-hmm. um, key passes, crosses. And and so that's what I was looking for him to do or expecting him to do, and he just kind of carried it himself and and found found the back of the net. So yeah. I, it, and, and Juan Cuzane had a goal too, which is I, I don't think it's going said very loudly right now. But Cuzane has been having himself a hell of a run. Cuzane, yeah. Pompeu, those guys, and we'll get to the Earthquakes two stats soon. But man, that that game really just kind of kept the momentum going for those two players.
1: Yeah. So so back now that you're talking about that Cuzane goal, like so uh, I'm just looking at my notes. Uh, from what I watched, um, it was um, a ball that Kyle Heaver, uh, he won a duel and then uh, got yeah. to, to uh, Watts and then Dolling and Diaz participated too and then Diaz uh, assisted uh, Hussein. So, and it was a really quick transition, so I was really impressed by that.
0: Yeah, I remember you saying that when it happened. Uh, it really, and I had to watch it like three more times after you mentioned that. That was good. That was a good catch from you. Um, you guys touched on what I wanted to touch on. One being that I do worry about our new players until they score. I, just, I, I, <laughs> I, I like, I'm nervous for them, and so Ostrak especially. I was, I was a little worried about, and Klaus even more so. But Klaus, I forgot this, but Klaus assisted that Ostrak goal, so that I should have been keyed in a little bit that he was on on those way uh, up in the assumption. was it
2: Klaus or was it Doling on that one I think Doling had come in for him by the way was, it was
1: Klaus um it was Klaus was it it's yeah
0: well I, it depends on if we trust the MLS Next Pro website <laughs> so that's what I was no. amazing oh, if they no, support
1: I, me if they
2: support my point of view then I'll defer yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: I'm, <not laughs> like, I'm gonna have to go back and look at that replay again but yeah I I, I thought it was Klaus but at this I point, actually, wrong.
0: there's been another game, and we all we but we all know what happened in that game. So, like, we're not worried about Klaus anymore, right? But, um, but that's my you know, first thought. Touch on that, that in a moment because I've got a lot of thoughts on that one. Oh,
2: good. Um, we should you're, touch you're on, totally, the, on the next game. Well, but you're totally right about Ostrock on this one because um, the the game before that, or the, the the time before that, what I was alluding to is seeing him on the right side, and I'm fully expecting him. And you know, I, I want to ask uh, as the season gets on, and as we start getting to MLS next year. But is Ostrak going to take that number 10 role? Mm-hmm. Because we're, we have a left winger in Jensen uh, signed. Not, not saying these guys are going to be in the starting 11. We have a right winger rumored to be signed mm. or signing <laughs> um, Rasmus Alm. So Ostrak, when you look at where, he, where his heat map usually is, it's in the middle of the field up there. So I see him where Diaz usually plays for City, Two, right there in the middle. And so that would plug him in as the playmaker. And you've, we've seen news and, and heard reports of him as having that playmaker role and ability. So I, and I'm glad he was in that the Whitecaps 2 game playing in more of the middle of the field. And I saw him a little bit, too, in the Earthquakes 2 match. So I want to see more of him there, actually, once he has more minutes and maybe he gets a start here by the end of the season, what he can do in that role.
0: Something to watch. I never looked at his heat map. That's a really cool one uh, for you to mention, Matt. Um, but I just also wanted to back up the um, that I've been paying attention that to Pompeu that he's more of a playmaker than he is a goal scorer, and that's like not something I noticed till you mentioned it. Um, and then, and in the same way, I wonder if if we could find a conversion rate. Stat. I feel like Diaz and Kuzain have been like our best finishers this year, as far as chances taken and how many of them are scored. I'd be interested to see that.
2: Well, on the on the Pompeu front, um, I mentioned leading uh, in the top two or three in the league and some of the key passes and crosses. Mm-hmm. He he, along with uh, Kwame and Ezra on that left side, almost interchangeable. Um, any three of them, they're the ones who had up until just lately led me to really believe we might not need a true number 10 Hmm. because a lot of our playmaking is coming from our wingbacks. And I think it's pretty clear that they're acting as wingbacks. They're not acting as traditional fullbacks. They're really getting high up the field, whether it's DeRosa, Pedro, Kwame, um, any, any mix and match of those guys. Uh, and I think we, we see a lot of in preseason dating back to preseason, we saw a lot of this in the overlapping runs they would make on the left with Ezra and, uh, and Celio on the left-hand side, right up by those fences. I vividly remember him and thinking, this is where our playmaking is coming from. We're moving the ball up the field, and then we're, we're drawing the defense out to the corners, and then we're getting it back over to the middle to score the goals. And Doling even does that from time to time, where he'll get really deep into the corner, really deep into the box, and then draw defenders over and play it back to the middle or to just outside the 18. That's how Akil gets a lot of his goals. And so same for Diaz that, as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that to me is something considerably worth watching is where's our playmaking coming from and what part of the field? Because I've, I've started to see a couple comments of, well, it seems like uh, a number eight or a number 10 are the, the ones that we haven't signed yet for city. And we need every good MLS team has a good attacking number 10, but the way Celio has been playing in this, in this offense is a, to me, a really good indicator of how we might not need that necessarily.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and numbers are numbers and positions are positions. And so, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about like, I think when Americans were starting to learn about like tactics and things like that, and numbers on the field that we do get hung up on uh, formations and, and number designations. And, um and it's cool, you know, I don't know the intricacies of it, but I know that's how Man City operates in zones, right? It's not mm-hmm. about what player plays what position, it's just like there are zones and there are certain players that are expected to do certain things in each zone and they don't have to be a 10, but they can operate as a 10 for a certain amount of time in a game. And so um, Santiago and I were talking about today about like Klaus, like he didn't look comfortable going out wide, but like I think our team's used to doling going out wide, just like you mentioned, Matt. And so like Klaus ended up wide several times, a couple, you know, several times. And, you know, I was talking about the Klaus cross because he didn't look like he wanted to cross it. But he just like that was what his option was. It was a beautiful cross. It, and led, it led to a goal. Create, yeah, it led to a goal. Yeah. And the other one created a chance for sure. So it's been funny to watch that. And it's, it is. It's funny to see like Klaus naturally being pulled out wide because it's just how that team operates. And I'm curious if that will continue for the MLS team. Uh, who knows? Yep. Right. Who knows with all these players that are coming in? if we see it though we have to be like we have to attribute that to St. Louis City se 2 right we're going to be well, like it's,
2: it's, if that happens it's ingrained in them now <laughs> if, if it happens it's a true testament to the system yeah, right? yeah. we're seeing the cuz what i'm expecting is a lot of the things that we see regardless of the personnel on the field is attributable to the system we've heard so many times that they want to bring players in who fit the system
0: mm-hmm, and yeah. so
2: i'm i'm fully expecting until proven otherwise that the style of play and the way the players are positioned on the field now that is the indicator for how city is going to perform next year and it's a reason aside from the fact that this is our top team it's a reason why i think everybody should be paying attention to city too because of of all the all the things that are said about the system and this is the preview in in earnest of what we're going to see next year to me
0: and that's my favorite thing i love watching like what are we going to see who's going to go where and how are things going to work it's been really fun to kind of uh, watch that and then talk about it with you guys, especially it's been fun. Uh, let's talk about the next game. We were talking about Klaus making some crosses in this game and uh, that happened, but a lot, a lot more happened. Other than <laughs> Good, that. Great. Let's. I'm going to do my best to kind of list some of these things here. Well, before you list
2: them, let's just say city Two rewarded us for staying up late on a Sunday night. They absolutely.
1: That was a great game. Oof.
0: Yeah, it was it was a circus in a way. Um, You know, there there were two goals, the second of them being Selmir Pedro with his weak, quote, weak foot from well outside the box on a rebound, just slammed it into the goal. Uh, It was a beautiful thing to watch. And then how many minutes later? Hold on, I'm going to count it. He scored in the 38th minute, and then 45 plus one, he gets a red card. It's oh, not yeah. even in regular yeah. time. So um, that happened at the half, right? So the rest of the game, St. Louis City 2 is playing down a man. And then do they you, score two you more agree, goals down a man. Do you agree with the red card, though? Do you yeah, think no, that was, no, <laughs> no. Well, I, I have seen I, the replay. Have you guys?
1: I, I, I saw it, yeah. I, 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 meant, to, I meant to ask... Uh, Hawkward today but I, I forgot um, that it, wasn't a red card
2: the only way it could have been a red card and I think I was we were talking I was talking to Brian Simpson about this the only way it could have been a red card is if they they were calling a denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity th- that ball and was too long there's no way I get that he was the last defender but the way that that ball was passed the opportunity that the attacker had th- no he was sorry and, the, and the fact that it was outside the box yeah no, was
0: Ladies it outside the box?
2: Give it up. Yeah, they yeah. gave a free kick to it, not a
0: penalty. I apologize. Yeah. You guys probably all heard that, but I'm like trying to watch these highlights. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to this, <laughs> and I'm gonna post this on Twitter because we got to put a poll up about like what do we think about this? Can we get a bunch of comments? Yellow, on? no doubt.
2: Yellow, obviously. Oh yeah, for sure. But for there's sure, no though. way that's a and and completely different from Yaro's uh, red card at the end of the game, which was a second yellow handball in the box. Okay, fine. This was a straight red for a foul outside the box, where it was a like a long pass, kind of a buildup in play. There was congestion there in the middle.
0: No. So, so what I said originally, I'm just going to play devil's advocate because we need a balanced argument here. It is he. If you look at it like he gets by both defenders. And it's important that we say he gets by both defenders because it's Pedro and Hebert. And the mm-hmm. runner's running between the two, closer to Selmier. And Selmir does foul him, right? And yeah. if he is past both those defenders, that equals he is past the last defender, right? And anytime someone is fouled and there's no more defenders in front of him, that is a red card. So if you were to defend the referee, I think that's what you say. Now, he was like, the last thing I'll say is that he was probably six to 18 inches past Selmir when he got the ball is I was the last defender and Hubert was even with him as well at that point we're talking about
2: like var worthy offsides type agree agree where is the MLS
0: next pro bar (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see my line in the the dotted line and the red line there are a couple other crosses we're gonna die on before that one you know they
2: don't they don't have a fancy graphic yet set up for uh for var or like um call overturned or something so they're not implementing it yet (laughs) Right.
0: so that happened they play they scored two goals down a man um in the second which i was totally
2: wrong i thought going into half i was like all right we're gonna we're gonna back it up a bit because we're down a man we're just gonna we're not gonna park the bus but we're going I, i was totally wrong with that
0: and that's some, I don't think I posted that today, but someone asked, like, what, you know, what, what did you say to the guys at halftime, Hack? Because clearly <laughs> you uh, did something to they get up, these guys up. to wake up. And he said, you know, I like to claim that. And he said, no, I just had a normal halftime talk and then that happened. So, um, but I also talked to someone about how um, at first I was a little down on Klaus because he hadn't really scored yet and I was starting to worry. And I was like, he really needs to score. And part of that thinking is, um, first of all, I'm ridiculous. But second of all, um, part of that thinking is, well, these guys should be scoring against MLS. So like, if they can't score in the third tier of American soccer, I'm starting to worry, right? Um, but these guys showed that like they're better than San Jose, a man down. I think it's proven at this point, right? Oh, easily. Yeah. It wasn't so, until
2: we were down two men that they actually started having an offense. Right.
0: So I am celebrating and, this, but at the same time, like I half ex- wanted this, not expected it, but I really wanted this kind of thing to happen. And I'm glad it did. I feel really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was, we were talking about it today. Like, yeah, it's third division soccer. Like this guy should be performing well. Mm-hmm. And, um, something helpful is that they also had toaster ravioli midweek and Mm -hmm. that unlock all the the goals and all the all the great plays yeah
0: yeah you there's two things you can do to make a team good you can get a bunch of dps and play them on your third tier team or you can just give them toaster ravioli you know those are the two options so we chose both uh, but you know
2: I just hope gooey butter cake has the same effect (laughs) because I I understand that next up if the poll on their app is to be believed
0: me too I hope Jensen likes that
1: at least yeah (laughs) Maybe I a strike
0: it. against Jensen. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Klaus, I voted a frozen coaster, but it's, it looks like it's going to be a, it's going to be a gooey bite. Klaus cake. was
2: offended when, uh, whoever was giving him a bite, tried to take it back. I think Maybe it was yeah. Omi or somebody, but he, he wanted the whole thing. Yeah. That was funny. I, I, I loved it.
0: it. I'm a big fan of like Klaus loving that kind of stuff. And Berkey loving the terrible weather in Missouri. <laughs> That's the best. Well,
2: so on, uh, on the, on the Klaus front, so uh, good as time as any to talk about the juxtaposition between uh, when we saw him in person versus this game, I think. Um, and I know he played against Whitecaps too, but I, I really feel this was illustrative of the fact that they're in preseason. Yeah. The fact mm-hmm. that they're when they, when they come in, these MLS guys, and they come in and they're having just a couple weeks or two or three weeks uh, practice time and acclimated to the weather and the time change and the season and they're not performing. They're getting, they're getting their stamina. They're working up to match fit. And I feel that's where looking back, it's pretty obvious. That's where Klaus was in that first match. Yeah. Uh, and, and because he, he seemed a little off. He seemed like he wasn't, he wasn't gelling with everybody else because they all had time together. When doling came in, there was a noticeable change in chemistry mm-hmm. And so it wasn't, it, it was almost like you could see how it would leave a bad taste in some fans mouth when they're seeing that happen. And they're seeing this is our designated player. Like then this is, this is what we're, we're getting out of them. But context is key mm-hmm. and context is King in this because this match, uh, weeks later with plenty of time to acclimate, plenty of time to know the system, play with teammates. To me, it was a completely different Klaus and, illustrated by the two goals that he scored, I made notes that uh, on that first goal, um, and, and even on the second goal, the spacing and the situational awareness that I mentioned with Ostrock earlier for Whitecaps 2 was Klaus to a T. So the first goal that he scored um, was assisted by well, Juan Cousin. And when he did, Cousin was running down the right side. Klaus basically mirrored his positioning on the center he kept pace with juan as he won the ball going down the right side and the moment you'll know you can check the height there's a highlight of this you can check the moment that the defender who was marking klaus took a step towards juan who was moving in towards goal klaus took a step back created space for himself and he looks back he looks around himself to see where his defenders are for a split second to know that he has enough time to receive the pass, settle it, and then score. Mm -hmm. And so you're not just seeing the stamina of being able to uh, keep up uh, with with the pace of play. You're not just seeing um, the, the ball smarts. You're seeing that complete situational awareness and the positioning that we all want to see and we expect to see out of our designated player. So it's more than just Klaus getting a goal there. But everything that goes into it was just uh phenomenal to see and the fact that he had the awareness and ability to make such a quick snap judgment of what he had time to do even in third division I don't care what division it is and where you're playing like that that was fantastic to see and then in the second half um second half when he scored a goal it was almost the same type of thing where uh Kuzain won the ball at midfield he passed it back to DeRosa who Kicked it long to Sergio Rivas, I believe, on the right hand side. And then Rivas brought it down to the, the end line, and it was almost this like surreal cross on the on the ground where it just happened to pass everybody. Klaus again created space for himself by noticing there wasn't anybody behind him, took a step back, received the ball, and planted it about like had to been two feet out of, of the line. The fact that he's able to make these snap judgments. Putting himself in position both times in the box where you would expect that true number nine to be uh, was more than heartening. I mean, that was that was exciting. That was the kind of thing to get you like fired up and amped up for what he's going to bring to us next year.
0: Agree, especially that first goal. I was I was like noticing the veteran, you know, logic that was being (laughs) calculated at every uh, given moment. It seemed like Santiago, any thoughts about this game?
1: Uh, well, back to Klaus. Um, yeah, he's definitely getting there. Uh, he said it himself uh, before his first game. He at that point he, he was like, "Well, I'm at seventy percent," and you could tell um, that he he wasn't there yet. But um, he has been in three games, and this third game, he he he's really getting to, uh, to where he needs to be. And yeah, you have to keep in mind, is preseason, but but yeah, it's it's great to see him. Uh, finally scoring and getting assists and that's what we are hoping to see uh, next year
0: yeah i was i was um i wasn't terribly worried about him being able to score goals i think i knew that I was going to come around but i think what i was most like concerned about was the dp coming in and, and in that first game he was not pressing the way he was supposed to matt i i said it so many times in that game and it's yep. not fair right to judge him so early but He was in the game, and he's a DP, so, like, okay, I'm going to say it. It's what I'm thinking. But, um, man, he was missing some, like, massive, you know, pressing cues and stuff like that. And um, in this game, at least, I thought he was incredibly good at pressing. He went from suspect to being extremely good. I really enjoyed watching that because no one wants to see, and, and even Lutz alluded to, He may not be like a crazy goal scorer, but we ask him to work to lead the lines and things like that. And so I expected that, right? And when it didn't happen, I was worried. And now we see he can very easily handle pressing, and it's fun to see how physical he is in that pressing. It's pretty awesome.
2: And I wonder if uh, the expectations – just hinge on the fact that he's the designated player the first designated player the number nine is the dp that It's that (laughs) it's a label but it because of what the label implies it brings a lot of expectations and i whether they're fair or unfair i mean he's one of three players we have that we can just spend and spend on that we could bring in a caliber of player that should be top class in mls and you know, I think that context of remembering at what point he came to us and played against um, who was it that we played at home, Chicago. Game? Uh, yes, the, yeah, the fire was two game, Chicago, and so it's important to remember where he was at that point. And I think in the long haul, it's going to be easy to just create that narrative of mm-hmm. all right, this was an obvious outlier, and we can see that he came in and he was getting uh, warmed up to the system and this was clearly preseason but it's a fun progression to see of of how we got to see minutes uh at that point
1: um up until where we are now and where we're going yeah it's great to see that progression he he said he before playing against chicago he had not played a competitive match since april so Mm -hmm. that's something to keep in mind too
0: and also, I'd keep trying to remind myself that DP is just a label with this team. The fact that Nilsson and Berkey are not DPs, it's like <laughs> the, the the label yeah. DP is very muddled on this team. And even Luvin, like I'm not certain he's going to be what a lot of people expect to be a uh, midfield DP, you know, in MLS. Like he may not be that level, and I'm still like with ho- I'm still trying to convince myself like not to put that label on him quite yet. If ever, you know, and it's fine because we've spent well doesn't mean that Leuven has, to bring you know what I mean, has to live up to a level that he may not even be or Klaus for that matter. They may end up being that. Plus, we have these plus players. Um, But who knows? You know, it's something I can't.
2: Yeah, it's a balancing act for sure, because, yeah, there are mechanisms to bring players and there are probably under the table deals that you can make like LAFC has pretty clearly made with a a Bale type <laughs> player. You can bring that player yes. in a, in not a designated player deal on a Tam deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that can be done, then the sky's the limit on what you could probably do. But in general, I, in general, I kind of disagree because of the, the scarcity of the DP mm-hmm. and you need, whether they're going to be a goal scorer or not, it's not necessarily about scoring goals. It's about making the impact to the team. So Luven, I like to to think of as what we'll see isn't necessarily a goal scorer, but that person who can change the game when he's in, and, and he should be changing the game, driving the field. He should be that that pivot player who can make things happen and a playmaker, and he's uh, an attacker just as much as a defender, and he's the game changer hmm. because if you're going to spend a designated player spot, um, you know the the fact that. We, MLS has such a, a salary cap with these the Garber bucks that they do. The, there's finite resources, except for designated players. Designated players don't have finite resources. And spending wisely on that, if you're going to spend on that, uh, you have to make those, those players land. And both Klaus and Luvin are on more or less long-term deals. Mm-hmm. So, you're either going to have to eat cash if they don't turn out, or you need to have made smart decisions. And I so far, I have no reason to believe that they aren't smart decisions. We're seeing the fruits of Klaus as he's getting acclimated. I have no doubt we're going to see something similar to Leuven And it seems like so far so good on the bringing players in who fit the system. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do definitely put a lot of stock in those two specifically because of the DP designation.
0: That's fun. I, I, D, DMs are open, guys. So if you guys uh, have any thoughts on this, Matt and I have presented two uh, perspectives. And I'd love to hear if you guys have more perspectives or what you think about what we've presented today. Uh, anything else on this game? We should probably move on otherwise. But there's still, still more to talk about. Well, I do want to say Berkey's <laughs> saves made a massive oh. difference in this game. Sorry, Santi. Did I steal it from you?
1: Uh, a little bit. So very quick. So guys, 10 seconds into the game. Yeah. San Jose almost scored, a great save by Berkey, but um, I look at that replay multiple times, and to me, it looked like uh, San Jose really studied what CD2 does, and they had a a play ready to go um, during the kickoff. And we uh, we asked Akwar about it today. He said, yeah, yeah, it was a good play, but uh, I think he said De Rosa kind of a slid and that kind of led into uh, into that but still looked like a like a good prepared play by um san jose but yeah obviously Berkia uh, was there to make the say but um it's it's interesting because that's probably something that our teams are gonna look at mm-hmm. uh, not only for the initial kickoff but for our game situation so uh so yeah it, it was interesting to me well the the overall stat line was Kind of interesting because they
2: San Jose had more shots than us. They had more yeah. shots on goal. This was not a typical City two defensive game. And I I feel I felt early on, and Berkey was very deserving of the man of the match. He deserved yeah. a clean sheet, honestly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was in net, I think uh kept us in the game as long as it did and kept us with the lead that we had for as long as we had it. I'm not saying that Creeker or McGrain would have definitely let in goals, but some of the saves that he made were pretty. Uh, pretty world-class type saves and the consistency that he was making them. And I also thought in the first half, at least, that there was kind of a comfortability with him in net that allowed us to continue our higher press than maybe we otherwise would have. Uh, Maybe we would have dropped back some of our defenders or, or midfielders a little more or not have been as aggressive as we were, which caused some of those goals. And so, I mean, it's a cascading effect, right? Berkey's in there, you have the comfortability you can push up and pushing up means you score more goals and it, when you when you get beat or when you're when you're caught in that high press uh you have berkey there to save you and we saw that a few times for sure where i i, I firmly felt that it was it was because of berkey that we went into half
1: with a clean sheet i thought the yeah, commentator and, oh go ahead santi and you can tell that Bill berkey is also like getting uh in shape and get it to where he needs to be like uh, we didn't talk about this but that game against vancouver like at least to me it looked like he had responsibility on on the goal vancouver scored, and i think that that was that that he he wasn't at 100 percent yet and you had to get into those game situations and um, you could tell that he was still in precision mode but i can see that he's getting there he had a great game uh, against san jose
0: yeah i thought the um play-by-play guy was pretty good in this game. He mentioned XG throughout the game. Um, and so I actually, after the game was over, I still didn't check. I thought they might have outdone us on XG. It's 1.68 XGA at least to 2.39. We did beat them in, in that battle. But um, the other thing was that Berkey's distribution kind of blew my mind in this game. I mean, I've seen st louis fc get better throughout the years i thought call morton was very good at that and being a good positional goalkeeper Mm -hmm. that tomas gomez was one of our better distributors this was freaking next level times two i don't mean the guy was incredible in distribution and that is gonna pay as long as he can be like an average stopper and i think he's gonna be above average i think our building out of the back is going to help our offense so so much in mls based on his performance
2: um, he had like 80 plus percent uh passing accuracy and he had a considerable amount of long balls too the the guy was pinpoint on a lot of his passes almost all of
0: them de rosa got like five of them like dead on chest you know what i mean down the sideline at least half the field if not more i mean the dude was incredible um so we're very spoiled and (laughs) We're going to be spoiled for a while, I think, because I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, so that was well, being
2: amazing. being spoiled in MLS Next Pro is, I think, going to equal being overly competitive in MLS. I agree. So take it all day.
0: Sorry, cut you off on that, Santi. That's not good hosting there. I should have let you say it. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> good. Um, let's talk about this. This is um, let's see. We're at 40 minutes. We got plenty of time, guys. This is good. This is going to take up a lot of time. MLS homegrown territory rule change. <laughs> this, I mean, we're gonna go. we're gonna destroy you with this one. Um, homegrown rights on every player in territory is gone. This is reported by Paul Tenario of the Athletic. Uh, oh, sorry. Details also with Stam- Sam Stasekel. Um, Teams have protected player lists at the academy level. They have set compensation for non-protected non-prot- academy players who leave quickly. Mm-hmm. I just think this has been long overdue. This has been something causing massive problems. If you guys know the Kappa story about what he had to do to go to whatever team he wanted to do to, to get freedom of playing. He had to go outside our country. It's unacceptable. People have been claiming players. They have no intention of like investing in ever and just claiming them to try to get a a, a paycheck this is unacceptable and this helps that I'm not saying it solves it uh, but we you know that's all I'm gonna say I'm gonna let you guys just go crazy with this one go ahead Matt
2: the illustration to me of why the system needed to change was Caden Clark yeah and Caden Clark grew up in Minnesota before Minnesota United had an academy system so he, he played club ball in Minnesota Minnesota United didn't have anything for him so, you know, what was he going to do? He's played, playing club ball. New York Red Bulls wanted him, but the Minnesota United club had his homegrown rights. And so he couldn't sign with New York. He was, he was blocked, completely blocked, unless he wanted to sign with Minnesota. So New York wanted him. New York ended up sending $75,000 in allocation money to Minnesota United as compensation for the sheer fact that he was raised and grew up in Minnesota. Minnesota United had nothing to do with his development. He was just happened to live there, happened to be super talented, and drew the eye of New York. And so Red Bulls wanted him, so they had to pay seventy five thousand just to be able to bring him over. And Minnesota United got money for doing nothing. an absolute sham of a system. And the reason, that to me is the illustration of why this needed to change. the the homegrown territory concept, we talked we talked about it a while ago in kind of wondering how it would work in city, where the line would be drawn between yeah. here in Kansas City and Chicago. It because when you hear homegrown territories, for those who don't know, it is literally a geographic territory around your club, wherever they play. That says if you live in this radius, you are you have your rights in MLS belong to that club, and so Kansas City could could lay a homegrown claim on Juan Cousin because he he grew up in St. Louis, even though he was how far are we from from Kansas City? Two hundred fifty miles. I mean, we're we're. geography should not drive the inherent ability to play for a club and it has been for up until now and and that's that's kind of the uh the easy way to describe it is if you live in a certain area your rights and mls belong to a club so this completely changes the landscape 95 percent of the way i think there's still like that that small, like, and I think this was the concession of the nine players, and we'll get to the official thing in a second. But there's a small concession, but otherwise, this is the change that MLS has needed to make forever. And of all people, um, you know, I don't want to give Peter Vermes too much credit, but it, he's been the public <laughs> face of this. You know, he's been the guy who, and his quote was used in the Athletic, of a club shouldn't have rights of 500,000 players that they have nothing to do with just mm-hmm. because they live near where the club plays. So props to him if he's been the one championing this throughout all the committees. Um, and kudos to MLS for finally doing this. I know that there's going to be a lot of, of naysayers or Harpers of, oh, it's, they should have done this a long time ago. This is too little too late. But no, it's not too little too late. It's, it's long overdue, but this is how it should be going forward where I you agree. focus on your academy and the players that you have invested in and that you've spent time developing as the players you can protect.
0: Santiago what do you think
1: I, I really like it uh, and uh, I didn't realize Peter Burmese was uh, such a big advocate Me either until I read the yep. article from from the athletic especially
0: because he tried to claim Josh Sargent <laughs> like, <laughs> it has to be said right like come on man
1: but he does I, have I, a measure I, of self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually gonna make a joke. I was like, "Does this mean St. Louis can finally claim Joe Sargent? Is this <laughs> I wonder, what it is?" I wonder. But uh, but no, I I know that's that's not it. But but no, I, I really like it. But um, yeah, clubs will need to be really careful on who they put on that list. And you will always it will be interesting to see who will be the first club that loses that misses on a player that they didn't put on the list and ends up being like a top player playing for us MNT and, and uh, playing in a, in a top five league in the world. And, and the club that claim him is going to make millions and that's going to happen. But, but yeah, it, it, it puts emphasis on the development and yeah, clubs are going to miss on a player or two, but that's, that's part of it. The one thing that I'm li- a little worried about when I was reading the article is that, um, and I'm sure Matt is going to provide all all the details on how many players and all of that, but the fact that if a club doesn't have a U-19 team, mm-hmm. they will have, um, I think it's, it goes from 54 to 40, yep. and I was wondering, like, how does, like, I wonder if City 2 thought about this and maybe... The fact that they have a u21 team comes into play but it'll be interesting to see that development but we don't have a U19 team right now and if st louis doesn't get any credit for the u21 like will they change down the road so they can protect more players it'll be interesting to see developments on that i took a shot and asked uh sam and
2: paul on twitter and did not get a response mm-hmm. of did, did, What about a U twenty one team outside of MLS Next? Does that count? Right. I, I, as I was typing, I'm like, it's not going to count. No, like it, you're not going to answer me, and it's not going to count. Like there's, I mean, the rules are what they're going to be under nineteen because that's the highest age level in MLS Next, and that's clearly the criteria they're using here because they mention. U15, U17, U19. And those are all age groups where if a club has that age group, they play in MLS Next. Mm. So that's obviously where the development is coming from. And it's encouraging clubs to create teams in that league. But... Phil, if you'll uh, if you'll indulge me, I've got the I can just kind of break it down real quick. So
0: I want to hear about the holes in the rules. That's what I want to hear about.
2: <laughs> yes. So whereas, and there's some sort weird like flexibility. So it's not necessarily going to max out. Every club might not protect 54 players, and mm-hmm. some like city won't be able to. But whereas the previous rule was all geography based, and it included the academy. So uh, Sporting Kansas City, who had been part of this system. Any They had a, a massive geog- geographical footprint around Kansas City that basically went to um, halfway towards like Colorado, for instance. And so halfway between Kansas City and Colorado and uh, Denver, that's the line for where the uh, homegrown territory was between the Rapids and Sporting Casey. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive footprint. Like anybody that you are able to identify that grew up in that location, if they want to play in MLS, Sporting Casey owns their rights. That's what the old system was. The new system, is that MLS teams are going to be allowed to place up to 54 players on their protected list, 45 of those who play in the academy and nine who aren't in their academy, Mm -hmm. but who live in their homegrown territory. And that's where you get into the we almost got rid of the territories because now you can only protect nine players and you have to put them on a list. So if they're not already identified and on a list that you have not playing in your academy. Maybe they play for maybe they play for Lou Fuse. Maybe they play for Gallagher, and you put them on your uh, city protected list, but they're not in your system as one of your nine. So 45 in the academy, nine who aren't in your academy but are in your territory. Uh, anybody else is now able to freely sign with any other MLS club without any compensation being made. The Caden Clark situation um, would only have happened if he was one of the nine that they had identified and protected. So, it could be that that wouldn't have been resolved, but the massive, by and large, that would have been resolved. Now, in the club's 54-player protected list, there gets to um, some, some numbers of each age group. So, from what the reporting says, teams must protect a minimum of 10 and a maximum of 20 players from their respective U15 and U17 academy teams, MLS Next academy teams. Now, we have a 14, 15, 16, 17 team, so the assumption based on this article is that you can protect a maximum of 20 players from, uh, that group. Ages, yeah. Yeah. From the younger ages. Now it says teams must also protect a minimum of five and a maximum of 15 from their U 19 age group. And that's where it gets a little dicey for city yeah. is like Santi said, we don't have a U 19. We have a U 21 that doesn't play in MLS next. And I, I like that they included the phrase, use u15 and u17 mls next academy teams in this but they said u19 age group not specifying next. Right. trying to maybe i'm reading too far between the lines and getting no. in the weeds um but there there does seem to be some kind of wiggle room and to be interesting how that shakes out the important go home thing though is uh well two things so of those nine non-registered academy players who you can protect. Um, a maximum of five can be protected from any specific age group. So you can't just identify a bunch of U-17s and say, we want to protect nine U-17s. There has to be a a little bit of a a mix, a maximum of five per age group. And the other aspect is if an MLS team does not field an under-19 Academy team, like you said, Santi, then you can only protect a max of 40 registered Academy players, dropping from that 54. So that takes you... uh, that takes you immediately down uh, from, um, you know, from where you would be if you actually had a U nineteen team. So it's really five players you lose because it's forty five from the academy, nine protected, non academy, up to fifty four total. This way, you're losing out on five players without a U nineteen team. So it's not like the end of the world. You know, we can still protect uh, forty nine total, mm. even if that's the case. Um, and you would assume that. Um, we're going to max out who we we look at from the other clubs in the area. I think that kind of is the underlying tone that I immediately thought of when I read this, of non-protected players. We don't have formal relationships or, or they're not part of our academy at Gallagher or Fuse or any of these other clubs around the area. We're going to protect nine of those throughout the age groups. Um, yeah, that's, that's what it boils down to. And the I, – I, my – so the biggest hole in this to me is clearly the homegrown territory still exists. And it doesn't provide complete freedom and flexibility. It gets you about 95% of the way there. And I think one of the interesting things to follow in St. Louis is who's going to be the first few that we actually find out are on city's protected list from Gallagher, especially, and from Fuse. From exactly. Because that that's going to be the biggest stir that I think happens in St. Louis, where we didn't invest in them, Gallagher did, but we own their MLS rights, and if another team mm-hmm. wants them or they want to go somewhere else, they they have to pay city compensation.
1: Yeah, the only thing is those lists are usually like private; like it's not like one hundred percent. Yeah. Until,
2: until a transaction occurs.
1: Right, that's when you find out.
2: Yeah, so we won't, you know, unless we find out through private channels of like family or somebody talks, you know, we won't know until a deal is made like Caden Clark, like something actually occurs where they go to a different team, um, or uh, they sign a homegrown contract with St. Louis, then it'll be kind of like, okay, they were pretty clearly on the protected list even though they won't have to pay compensation. Cause so there's a couple of ways we might end up finding out. But initially, you know, this is a this is one of those like completely abstract things. This is one of those things that it's not going to um, come into practicality for any period of time until something is newsworthy that actually occurs in a transaction.
1: Matt, do, do you have the article in front of you? Yeah. I some and maybe I misread it, but something that caught my attention. I think it said that the deadline to submit the list was like August twenty third.
2: Uh, it's a it's a rotating list as well. So teams can update the protected lists every few months. Uh, one source said the next update will come in January, and the current list had to have been submitted by August twenty third. That
1: was yesterday.
0: <laughs> Correct. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, St. Louis City has been operating in a way that they knew this was going to happen, right? Isn't it clear at this point, looking back?
2: You would assume?
0: Or uh, else certain things might have happened otherwise. You know what I mean? Like making sure that we could lock down more players based on their geography more so than getting them in our system in, in it's speaks... MLS Next Academy. You know what I mean?
2: Well... So I think it, it, I don't know how much you can really say that it played into the formation of who is in our academy, but I think it it might be an, it might be an inherent thing, honestly. Like, I don't know that I would say this specific thing may have been known for nine months or six months that it was coming. And so gobble up as much of the non-academy players into our system as you can so we could protect them and be, Mm -hmm. make them one of our 40. I just think, This is going to go along with the overall philosophy of, I don't want to use the word poach too much, but bring as much local talent in the area into the system as possible just because you want to have that talent in your system. And now we're able to uh, take advantage of these specific rules of protecting players in our system more so so than just players that exist in St. Louis area.
0: So Stewart's not here. So I will gladly play the role of the cynic in that (laughs) they knew this was happening. That's why they gobbled up as many Scott Gallagher. Mm -hmm. Anyone with any minuscule of talent was in that Academy, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Um, They didn't go too crazy. They could have gone worse. I'll admit that. But I mean, in my opinion, they were cynical. They grabbed everyone they could because it is, it is a war out there and that's how you win. Uh, It's good and bad. Right. I'm not I'm not going to go all against it. But I do want to say one more thing. It's an overarching thought about this whole thing is that this is an improvement. This is long overdue. It's I'm not going to complain about it. But I will say that one of MLS's weaknesses, in my opinion, is just too many rules because inherently. They're going to, they've got all these intricate rules, even this new rule, you know, it's like they did away with a bunch, but then there's like these intricacies about how you can do certain things and how many you can have. It's asking for more people to manipulate the system in the way that it was before. And so I just wish they'd just simplify it and just open it up. You know what I mean? And not, you know, it's very soccer wars of them to say, not just like, put whatever players on a list. If you've invested in them and it is put an MLS next player on your list. It is, you know, it's all MLS related. And then you get like nine slots for the crappy geographical thing that I guess could include USL players. I'm not even sure about that. Or USL Academy players. It would include, you know, like things like that or other independent teams that might have a good young player. And that's natural anyway. It's whatever, but the main overarching thought here is that, like, there's still way too many rules, and I hope this is one of those things that's going to continue to eliminate and eliminate and eliminate and just chip away slowly. Sometime in 2040, we might get rid of that last problematic ML. Baby steps. Yeah, so those are my See, cynical thoughts for the night.
2: I don't even like to think of it as there's too many rules. I like to, and, and I do think there's a distinction. I think there's too many restrictions. So I I don't have a problem with like rules that exist as long as there are there's flexibility and and less restrictions.
0: But flexibility Um, is what people look for to win, to do things like recruiting Jalen Lindsay from North Carolina. You know, like that's how people take advantage of the rules and win. In my opinion, that's part of the problem.
2: See, I wonder if uh, because of this, we're going to see some kind of expansion of a scouting network that exists in the United States by the MLS clubs. If they're going to start spending more to have connections so. or to uh, utilize analytics across your uh, former homegrown territories.
0: That would be because, a positive. Yeah.
2: Well, and especially, like, if you look at um, there was a map that came out today, or I think it was today on Twitter. That had a, a new U.S. soccer top three division uh, map of clubs, and mm-hmm. there's 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 a lot more than there used to be, but there's still this massive gap in uh, the northern Midwest over to like the northern Mountain West, and so you have to figure that there's I mean, so much undiscovered talent even in urban and suburban areas near clubs, but I wonder if this is going to kind of be the impetus to expand some of those previously. Um, where you had no reason to have a scouting network in another team's territory. Now you can set one up where a team might, you, you might have knowledge that a team doesn't have a, a, a worthwhile network in a certain state or a certain area. And so you send a few folks out there to talk to some coaches to find out if there's some talent out there. You know, this, this could be a reason for teams to expand their footprint of who they're looking for. And that that's good for the game. You know, that opens things up a little bit more and it, it could be wishful thinking that uh, teams would do this. But why not? You know, teams are having and it's uh, less, expanding.
0: It's yeah. less people falling through the cracks, too. So, like, yes, it's, let's say, for example, we'll say there's a Scott Gallagher kid who um, wasn't picked up by St. Louis City that perhaps someone like Cincinnati or Columbus wants or perhaps New York Sporting City KC. or. Yeah, I mean. Name a bunch of so if this player um, in the previous system, if that player was inside Missouri, St. Louis City could say no and they couldn't go there. Right. Right. Under the new system, that player, if they're not on a list, if they're not being invested in, except for those nine, then that player is free to go. And, you know, that player wouldn't be held back by a club who might be a little too selfish uh, that might be ruining this kid's life. You know what I mean? That's happened for sure in this country, maybe in this city. You know what I mean? Well, home so, homegrown like, territories encourage that, and that fixes this. That's a massive step.
2: You're, you're totally right. That, that that the way that that is had been approached is completely unacceptable, and yeah. it is counterintuitive to everything that we would want uh, as far as soccer development in this country, player development in this country, and the previous rules encouraged that. And by having territories where literally anybody that exists in this territory is yours unless you say otherwise, it encourages that. And this does away with that. So I'll celebrate it for nothing other than that fact.
0: That's fair. It's, and I, I will, too. Um, let's move on. That was good stuff, guys. Let, we got to move on to two more topics. Let's try to be quick with this. It's going to be difficult <laughs> because a lot <laughs> happened. There's a U21 team that's going to be playing in the UPSL. So we have new coaches. We have a whole new academy Uh, coaching structure involved with this as well seemingly at the same time at least that's how it was announced Um, so Matt why don't you get us started on this one
2: so the a few months back I feel the UPSL team was announced by City Um, a U21 team that was going to compete in the UPSL as part of the St. Louis City SC Academy and that was kind of it so there was an open call for tryouts Um, we, we knew that they would be playing in the fall, but that was, that was kind of it until this week, this week for, um, I think the first domino to fall were was the coaching staff announcement. So there's kind of a shuffle that occurred in the 22, 23 Academy coaching staff, where the biggest news to me is that Andrea Schumacher is out of the system entirely, Mm. um, former u7 well i don't even know if i'd call him a former coach he was announced as a coach but my understanding is that he he might have made the trip to america and and been a part of the system but i don't think he ever brought his family over Hmm. um that is a very much a rumor I, i don't have confirmation on that but there wasn't um and i i believe that's why he he left the the organization i think it was a something as far as the travel and, and had to do with the distance. But um, neither neither here nor there at this point, the the academy staff now with the head coaches, we'll just go with mostly head coaches, um, Dale Shilley remains the academy director. Uh, John Meliorace is the U21 head coach with Luis Swisher uh, as a U21 assistant now which did get a, a few mixed reactions. You know, he had been acting, I believe, as the U-17 head coach, right, yeah. Santee? Yeah.
1: Yeah, seven, yeah, U-17. So
2: moving up in age group, but from a head coach to an assistant role, to me, moving up in an age group is a promotion um, because you're you're coaching higher quality players. I can definitely see, and I would not argue if, it, if people saw it as a demotion from a head coaching spot. But um, the U-17 head coaching spot is filled by David Critchley, who had been the head coach of the 16s so that's a definite uh bump up for him and kind of a, a nice nod to how well he had been coaching the u16 so i'm excited to see what he can do for that side the biggest uh exciting thing for a lot of fans in st louis is new u17 assistant coach sean reynolds that's uh, awesome man, man so there's a lot bun
0: of wearing sean reynolds
2: he was in town for that fire two game. <laughs> and, uh, there was a lot of curiosity on what he was doing in town. Who spotted? So, him? I forget. He was hanging out with the Luligans. He was hanging out with the supporters oh, okay. for a little while. I, and nobody asked, like nobody asked him. The, or he like, was, he, he was boy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he was coy but uh I'm, I'm glad to see and that that was kind of the assumption i was oh, he he's interviewing for a position
1: you know what's it going to be your yeah. 17
2: assistant is a, that's a good gig
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's funny because uh, i was in the press box at that game and i saw a guy i was like oh is that sean reynolds <laughs> and he was wearing like cd cd2 uh like clothing i was like no there is no way that's him why why yeah. would he be here but it's a great <laughs> story. i love it yeah that that's super exciting
0: um, legend at this point, right?
2: <laughs> new head coaches for everything below that. The U16s have Adam Burke. The U15s have Anthony Wallace. And we had known previously the U14s have Megan McCormick. That's right. Uh, Tim Kelly, Mark Pye, Charlie Rankin hanging out still as uh, the academy goalkeeping coach, the assistant academy goalkeeping coach for Mark Pye, and then uh, Charlie Rankin as an academy specialist. Mark that kind of rounds out the head coaches, some of the specialists, And uh, honestly, the, the biggest news after that is something the city didn't announce themselves, but we kind of saw be posted online were the on the UPSL website are details about the staff that UPSL has listed for our U21s, the roster and just recently the schedule. So, Santi, I know uh, you saw just as I did the the schedule, and you saw a few more players. Did you want to talk about the schedule or the players for uh, our UPSL side?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was interesting that we found out that the uh, the desktop version and the the mobile version of of the website were different. So uh, we were able to find a mm-hmm. couple God bless more league
2: soccer websites.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were able to find that a couple of. Uh, uh, of couple of players with Louisville ties um, were part of the roster. Anthony Cano and um, I don't have any. Sagarujo. Yeah, Demir Beganovic. Yeah, Demir Beganovic oh, um, joined the team, and um, Ballmar, uh Fritz Balmer was also added recently. Uh, but basically, pretty much the base is uh, players from the U17 academy. Some of the players uh, had minutes with CD2 and. And uh, we, we talked a little bit to uh, Coach Huckworth about it today. And he was like, yeah, that's like a, the next step. We're uh, having some continu- continuity. And um, that's the next step for these guys. So uh, it's exciting that we have uh, not only the U21, but U14, mm-hmm. U15, You see, Like you have like the whole pyramid now, which mm-hmm. is interesting. I was thinking like back like two, three years ago when cdsc like published the pyramid um i remember in one of the mm. slides one of the presentations they they made um, it didn't have like u14 u15 it definitely didn't have u21 so things have been evolving and i think they have realized okay uh we need to add things and uh make this more flexible so we have that really we really have that path to pro and have different uh Places where, places where players can develop. So it's exciting to, to have so, uh, a, everything. And the U21, as you said, starts playing this weekend. Crazy.
2: So the first thing that I did when, uh, when they announced the coaching staff is I went back and I actually took screenshots from one of those old town halls of the academy to see how what we have now juxtaposes against uh, what they had announced. I think it was, when was this document? Back in like 2020 maybe December 2020 or something like that. They, they they didn't list a U21 team ever. That that's why this UPSL side was so interesting and groundbreaking to us is that this was never anything discussed. They they listed a development team way back when. Um, but we always assumed that's what City 2 became. Right. And so it's possible that City 2 was the new thing and the U21s were the development team but either way one of them was always new now they did from the beginning always announce uh, the pyramid the way the pyramid looks and maybe we'll we'll send out a screenshot of this on the flyover account but the pyramid has at the bottom soccer fundamental centers U7 to U13 which is always like a satellite type thing you you work with the clubs that develop these players and then your St. Louis City SC academy was U14 15 and 16 and then they had what they call a city center of excellence which were the U17s Kind of that that pinnacle of the the academy, so to speak. And then they had a transition center, their development team, and then the first team. So, the, and then th- that was why when they started out and they announced the 16s and 17s and the 15s, for a while we were wondering where are the 14s? You know, are mm-hmm. they actually going to do that anymore? Is it? And then they hired Megan, and that became obvious. And now the U21s are the brand new thing to the pyramid, really. And so I, I found it interesting that. Um, it kind of stayed consistent as it sh- as it shook out a little bit, uh, but you know there's obviously been changes uh, since then. And the UPSL aspect of it is the most interesting thing to me. And there are other MLS teams that have clubs in UPSL, so we're not breaking ground here necessarily. Um, I think part of it is, however, a club wants to structure its older crowd where MLS Next doesn't provide a platform yet for them to play. And for one reason or another, MLS Next maxes out at 19. They don't go up to U21s.
0: Today, John Hackworth said that he also mentioned, among all the things you said there, Matt, that um, it, it'll be a really good place for these City 2 players to play as well. So, you know, if there's guys not getting enough minutes, they're definitely going to get minutes with this UPSL side, and, and hopefully it's competitive enough for them.
2: Well, one thing on the UPSL side that I, I have a question for you guys for is we're also entering college season, right? And so, you know, Nathan Ferguson today just announced that he was going to Akron.
0: Oh, crazy. It, I missed that. Yeah, it happened oh, like just wow. a few hours ago. Okay. So, you know, City,
2: U17 Academy forward, City 2 forward, um, he's on the roster for the U21s. So, uh, so are people like um, uh, Josh Mayer. You know, there are, there are players who are on this roster who are going to college and this season runs, uh, August 28th through November 12th. There's a fall and a spring UPSL season, similar to MLS next. There's a fall in the spring season. Are, are we, how, how do you guys think this is going to shake out as far as the availability of some of these college kids? And are they going to be on this? Ro- why are they on this roster if they're going to college?
1: But in the case, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the case of Nathan Ferguson, he's not going to college this year. He's for next year, right?
0: Yeah, he's a U17, so yeah. So he will be around longer. I think so. Will Josh? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and same thing with Josh. Like uh, I think they are committed, but it's not for this. So their their commitments are for next year. So everybody's from the U17s.
2: Okay. So that, yeah. that makes still, a little more
0: sense. Even if that was true, Matt, that's still like you get them a little bit longer. You get eyes on them because, you know, the mm-hmm. pro season's wrapping up, you know. And so if they're not going to play in the playoffs or if we didn't make the playoffs, this UPSL team is going to catch them. We're going to get some more time with them. I think it's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing, you know, and, and it doesn't oh, yeah. ruin their eligibility. That's, you know, that's something. That's I look, the biggest I like thing. Said, that's, yeah. the that's, yeah. the that's the key. That's the key to sure. this whole
2: thing. And, and you'll notice that everybody who's played for City 2 – um who is on this roster? So you have uh, Nathan Ferguson, you have uh, Miguel Perez, Josh Mayer, um, Anthony Falpel, Fritz Vollmer. All of the City 2 players were on amateur contracts. And so this continues to preserve, uh, without any caveats, their collegiate eligibility.
0: Mm-hmm. Good stuff, guys. We got one more. I want to ask you guys a question that was posed to us by Scott Winter, STL, mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, Scott. Uh, comments a lot. So, Scott, thanks for paying attention, man. Appreciate it. Keeps us going in some ways on some nights. Um, when it comes to City 2 players, anyone stand out in terms of chemistry with the first teamers so far? What do you guys think? Do any City 2 players stand out in terms of chemistry with the first teamers? Does Juan count? Yeah. He's kind of a hybrid, isn't he? But I think, um... well, he's
2: he's the one who we aren't positive if he has a, an MLS contract similar to what Josh Arrows is, where he was signed for City Two, and then he is a kind of a one and one deal. But if he would be my thought right now, based on the past few games, um, assisting on goals, uh, scoring with MLSers on the field uh, in our attacking front, um, I wouldn't necessarily look to uh, Kyle Hebert and Josh Yaro for this answer. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's more looking yeah, for Laos. Yeah, but Ostrug. there haven't
0: been any, foul, like, any howlers, you know what I mean, from, from playing out of the back with, with no. rookie. So but counts. to
2: me, to me, it's Juan, Juan Cousin I noticed the past few games seems to have, and, and Celio Pompeu ha, has yeah. definitely counts. picked it up. But both of those players have always been there in their talent this year. I think they've played especially well and have done, in some cases, some really new and interesting things. Celio the reason he might have scored that screamer against uh Whitecaps too was because the the Klaus was drawing the defense. I, I don't mm-hmm. there was a lot of congestion in that area but I mean they're playing with confidence, they're playing with strength. They're they're getting the ball where they need to be. There's a lot of opportunity. They seem like they have just a, that higher level of confidence uh Juan and Celio and I don't think it's any uh I don't think it's any um, just a, a doubt or uh that the fact that they're in the attacking third. And, you know, you have Klaus up there, you have Ostruck up there. Those are kind of the two main guys who have seen a lot of significant minutes from the MLS side who have jumped in. And so it kind of makes sense that the attacking players would play well off of them um, if anybody was going to, to me.
0: What do you think, Sanko? Yeah.
1: Well, this only this only happened one game, but I also like what I saw when uh, Dolling and uh, Klaus played together. Uh, I, I know, like... A lot of coaches don't want to have two number nines together, but uh, I really like what I saw uh, on that game where where they played together for um, forty five minutes. Obviously, it's a small sample, but but uh, it looks like uh, they had some some chemistry and and they were aware of uh, where each other were on mm-hmm. the field and they knew where to place themselves. And um, Doling, um, at the end of that game, he 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 talked about it and said, "Yeah, it's it, it really it really." It has really helped me, like to see how he he puts himself on the field and what he's doing. And uh, he sees him like he sees Klaus like at the next level and kind of looks at him like a mentor. And he he knows uh, where he needs to be if he wants to be if he wants to get to the next level. That's like kind of a mirror for him. Uh, he's looking at okay, this is these are the things I need to do and. Um, this is what will help me get to the next level. So I really like that one only it was only 45 minutes but uh, but yeah, we had definitely seen good things from from different players also um, last game um, maybe it was the game before. Uh, Max Snyder also looked really good. he even participated in a goal. Um, it was it was actually um, Ostrak's goal. He uh, recovered the ball and passed it uh, really quickly to, to klaus or doling we still don't know i guess we have to go back and look at the replay and, and that generate a goal but but yeah i think that the guys uh, all the cd2 guys are once these guys came in the picture they they knew they had to step it up and, and you can see that
2: worth mentioning too that uh max schneider was named specifically in a post-dispatch article by tom timmerman hmm. as playing for a spot on the city roster I saw that. and he was who's running against an issue of international slots mm-hmm. where he doesn't have a green card and City has one international slot left and mentioned earlier, rumored to be Rasmus Alm from the Swedish First League. So he he would either seem to be having to prove himself that it's worth spending GAM to acquire another international slot for him or somehow get a green card in the next set, six, seven months.
1: Yeah, my hope is that, that by january or february some of these guys will have a green card Mm
0: -hmm.
2: is it but that might be too late though in Mm -hmm. the grand scheme of things to keep him unless we're gonna know he's he's aged out of the u21 so at that i think that might be too late as far as making the decision though
1: yeah but you can keep you can like extend like his cd2 contract and then when the green card situation is sorted out then you can add him to the roster
2: now that would
1: be the interesting aspect of it though
2: do you, can you stash some of these players if they're playing for city contracts and they're internationals and they would cost an international slot and we've been we, we brought these guys over international players as we turn over their green cards can we then sign some city two players to backfill their international slots. That's I an will, interesting perspective.
1: As long as, as it is before that roster compliance deadline, it's probably okay. But,
2: but Charlotte
1: showed this year
2: that that, the that deadline, rule, that that's deadline right. for international slots, is nothing. <laughs> they they converted some of their players to uh, domestic players two or three months after the deadline, yeah. and we found out at that point that yes, it might say that word for word in the rule book, but that's not what it is anymore. So you never know.
0: I have two answers for this one. Let's do it really fast, guys, really fast. Uh, do you think our DPs will have a strong influence on remaining promotions to the big club? So what players will our DPs help the most? And when, maybe what DP would that be? Say, say that again, Phil. So he's asking what whether are the DPs, the new players coming into the team, whether they will help other players get promoted to MLS through their good play. You know what I mean? Will they elevate... City oh i took the question to the main team
2: i took the question a different way i i was thinking about which players will they block uh, so, like oh, maybe so
0: yeah positive or negative that's fair well so the how first dare thing you be the cynic how dare
2: you i know right <laughs> Leuven is one of our dps and so uh, we have a number six role filled on our roster so akil watts max schneider they're uh, aj Palazzolo, like that that blocks a slot for a number six player on our team so now because of that dp one of those players may not find their way on the roster because lubin's there so that that was the first place i took that your your follow-up way you described it is based on the play of the player so for instance uh the way klaus has been playing uh doling Kuzain, and pompeu have all benefited from what i can see very recently very small sample size Mm -hmm. so don't read too much into it but very small sample size I can see those three players benefiting off of Klaus as he continues to be in form. And then uh, Leuven, as our other designated player, I can definitely see Kuzain uh, and Pompeu, just because Leuven should be that pivot. He should be the number six who kind of controls where the ball goes, controls uh, the midfield, and kind of draws players in. And I, I also see a lot of benefit to um, our wingbacks, based on how Leuven can play on defense. So if Leuven can track back appropriately on defense and cover a position, it may free up uh, like a Kwame, for instance, to continue to push up a little higher and be a part of that attacking offense.
1: Sandy? So if you think of starting, like guys who be on the starting 11, yes, you could see like, yeah, some of these DPs could block some of some players, but... You have to have a an expanded roster, and you need backups. and And some of some of the City Two guys could be uh, MLS backups. And and yeah, if they continue playing well, they will earn their place on the team or get more minutes. But but yeah, I I don't necessarily see as oh, Leuven is blocking uh, Snyder or Klaus is blocking. Um, dulling from moving to the next level no these guys could perfectly be part of the first team and and be on the roster and and be on the bench and get some minutes every once in a while maybe play sometimes with city too Mm -hmm. but yeah that's part of that progression and part Mm -hmm. of that development so i don't really see see it as blocking players because you're getting some of these dps and 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 guys from overseas
0: I'm with you on that, in that, you know, I've always advocated for the the Red Bull 2 to Red Bull 1 kind of model. And Philadelphia Union did it too, where they use expend so much energy on, on a weekly basis that you got to rotate in those two players regularly, not just sometimes, but like maybe they'll get, you know, 15 games in a season. That would be really cool to see for some of those guys like Mon Kuzain or, or Akil Watts. And, and, and Akil Watts is the one I was thinking of where. He takes those speculative chances in behind, um, you know, popping it over their back line to a striker. You know, we saw Diaz do it recently. So I could foresee Akil Watts getting like four or more assists if he's able to play as a midfielder, which he has been, um, to Jacques Klaus. You know, and he just puts him away. Or even Ostrak the way that he's been playing as well. So I would love to see that.
2: And I do think that it does raise the... um... Raise the possibility of some flyers being taken in some of those supplemental slots. So yeah. the, the slots 21 through 30 on the roster have um, like lower floors for pay. They have more time spent with City 2 or the, the next pro team, as we've seen with other teams in the league. The, the MLS rostered players that we've seen on some of these other teams we've played, by and large, have been the supplemental slots. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have a lot of players who are on our first team next year but they're not going to see a lot of minutes with our first team unless they're um, maybe playing in a double game week or U.S. Open Cup-type situation, Leagues Cup. You know, we have a a congested schedule, and they'll see a lot of their minutes with City 2. So that could be where a lot of these players who are high-performing in City 2, maybe they don't quite make it to the City roster. They're definitely helped by the DPs. I don't think there's any question that the DPs aren't going to raise the the capabilities – of a lot of the other players, they make they should be making everybody on the field better around them. That's part of their role. And I mentioned earlier, Leuven, he's not a, he's not going to be a, maybe a goal scorer to the point where Klaus would be, or a, a high profile attacking DP would be, but he's going to be making every everything around him better and be that linchpin in the midfield. So guys like Akil Watts or Max Schneider around him, the wing backs, Derosa and Kwame and Ezra, they should all be benefiting by having those guys on the field maybe not now when they first arrive or Klaus when he first arrived, but as Klaus gets in form and we've seen him, and as Leuven starts to get his sea legs under him and in form a little bit more, you're going to see uh, a higher quality of play in both of those positions to the point where the other guys around them will benefit. So maybe the easy answer is every single player on the field should be benefiting by having those two designated players on the field when they're in their proper form.
0: All right, we got to cut it off there, boys. That was <laughs> longer than we should have gone. Uh, last thing is that we have a pool party coming up. Not me. I'm missing it, and I'm re- it's really hurting me, actually. But Santiago, you're throwing a pool party, and you invited everyone. It looks like everyone but me can come.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll have some of the podcast crew. Um, yeah, so obviously Phil will be out, but Matt and uh, Stuart will be here. Um, Jake, maybe, but... Uh, mm to uh to hear from him but yeah we're gonna hang out at the pool and then watch um cd2 play um so yeah excited about
2: that santi i told uh phil right before you joined that we should uh ditch the wives for a few minutes and do a flyover forecast right before the match on uh hey i like that
1: i like that we we should do like a very short one but yeah we, we should We should do it. Live and in person.
0: We were doing the notes and we were like, oh, no, we got to add this. We got to add this. And Matt was like, we got to ditch the Timbers 2 game. We can't talk about it tonight. (laughs) He's right. (laughs) Thank goodness. So that's it. That's it for us, guys. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking to you in a week, I hope. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys.